0: Hello and welcome to a Friday, April 3rd, 2020 sheltering in place edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, confident, calm, and compliant, under pressure, and COVID-19 and the campaign. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette, and with me today are Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, James. Aaron Murphy, Lee Newspapers Statehouse Bureau Chief. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, James and Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. First up, we will survive. Americans are confident they will survive the coronavirus pandemic and be okay when it's over. That's based on a new Grinnell College national poll, that, according to pollster Ann Seltzer shows, we are confident, calm, and compliant. On the other hand, 55% said they feel stressed, 42% feel boxed in, and 15% feel doomed. And that's not just the reporters covering the pandemic. That's
1: everything.
0: <laughs> <laughs> is anyone surprised by Seltzer's finding that at this point, 88% of the people believe we'll get through this and be okay? Um, A- Amy, let's start with you. Uh, do these findings square with what you're hearing from fellow Iowans?
2: Um, I don't, I don't really think so. And and it, it could be a function of the, the poll being probably conducted earlier, you know, and as days go by, we get a little more uh, antsy and anxious about things. Um, I think in the early goings, um, and in a lot of March, maybe you had people that were still sort of on the fence about whether this was going to even come to Iowa, let alone, um, you know, have a, a big impact. And I think some people are still cautiously optimistic. I know in Black Hawk County, we've only got eight deaths. So comparatively per capita, like we have a pretty low confirmed infection rate. I think that that's still driving a little bit of the optimism. Um, But it really depends on, I think, a lot of factors that are out of people's control. And that makes people very, very anxious. I think it's going to depend on um, where Reynolds goes from here, whether she issues that shelter in place, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, whether uh, doctors and hospitals have enough equipment um, and can get enough equipment. And just basically, as we learn more about the disease, how is it spread exactly? Is it actually spread through the air? Is it that most people are asymptomatic? And so the more that we're learning, I think, the more that is good to learn, but the more that sort of, that can put us a little bit on edge. So I think that would surprise me if if 80 or more percent were feeling confident, (laughs) probably
0: aaron are, are you feeling confident <laughs>
3: uh um, it depends on the, what the rest of that question is confident about what uh, um, uh, if uh, about the overall are we gonna be okay I mean that's a um I think part of why you got a big number is that that's a pretty broad question there you know you know are are we gonna face Armageddon and and some kind of post-apocalyptic world at the end of this probably. Not so, are we going to be okay from that standpoint? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I think Amy raised a really good point, and and um, I, I should have looked up to see when this poll was in the field. Um, but depending when it was, and even if it was, it, it was the last March, week okay, th- yeah, there you go. So that's that's um, um, still fairly early, and the numbers are still, fa- and even now, we only have 11 deaths in Iowa, um, from this, so so it's not to the point where this is still tangible to a lot of Iowans. It's still kind of this um, ethereal thing that's out there infecting other people. It's, it's bad in New York. It's bad in Washington. It's bad in, in um, other countries. It's not bad in Iowa yet. Um, once we hit peak in a couple of weeks here, if you got a similar poll and a similar question in the field, then I, I suspect you'll see um, a much different answer then. Yeah, I think you
0: touched on a good point. That um, I mean, I think it's getting to the point where everybody knows somebody who knows somebody that tested positive or uh, you right. know showed exactly. symptoms. It's that sort of thing that you you know you keep hearing this in, in you know on your Facebook feed or text messages, and you know so and so, who's somebody's aunt has tested positive. But um, I think until maybe. Uh, until we see more deaths, it doesn't really become real, real to people. And and, and Todd, I mean, that was one of the findings I thought was interesting in this poll is is they asked people how long it would be reasonable to stay at home without contact with the outside world, you might say. And 70% said, as long as asked. If If we take this poll in a week or in a month, do you think the answer will be the same?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a good question I don't think it will I mean I think at this point it's still even though for some of us it seems like we've been home for a year or two it, it it's still pretty early and I, I think I think my wife thinks I've been here five years but uh, so I mean you know yeah it's still it's it's still almost a little you know it's this working from home and staying home I mean I, I think people, people's spirits for the most part, you know those of us that have the luxury of remaining employed during this and mm-hmm. and don't have to worry about figuring out how to pay for our rent and food and all of that. I mean, that's, that's one thing for those folks. It's, it's, you know, things need to get back to normal a lot quicker. Uh, but for the most part, for a lot of people who can work from home and, and continue to earn a paycheck and you know, th- they have to they have to order takeout now and, and get their, you know, wear masks when they get their groceries and stuff. I think people can stand that for a while. But yeah, you're right. In a in a month or so if this drags into the summer, particularly the time of year when Americans tend to want to get out and do things mm-hmm. hit the road and go on vacation, I think you're gonna see a lot less patience with with having to, to shelter at the old home place.
0: Yeah, I mean I think it's you know I think, I guess there's weather in the forecast for, or I mean, snow in the forecast for tonight, which maybe (laughs) is a good good thing. Uh, But just my observation is that, you know, every time the temperature gets up to about 45, 50 degrees, I see more people just out walking, riding their bikes, going for a run and that sort of thing. And and, I mean, we're coming on to spring and it's going to be hard to keep people at home indoors, you know, in place. Um, I just don't think, you know, Shelter in place, stay at home orders or not, it's going to be pretty tough to for people to stay home and keep their spirits up. Um,
1: but you know, as as we talked about, though, if if the death toll mounts and we start getting in a situation where lots of us know someone who's been you know harmed by this, I think you're going to have that fear factor that may may you know sober people up to not run out and and enjoy a normal summer.
0: Yeah. And and the pent up demand uh, once the uh, if this passes once it passes, uh, I mean I think we're going to see people going crazy in terms of being out and uh, going places and I mean travel it's it's going to be wild.
1: We may have to uh, sober up anyway because all the beer and booze will be gone. Yeah,
0: yeah. If they're, all, <laughs> they're using all the alcohol to make hand cleaner, hand sanitizer. So. <laughs> Uh, that's the story I'm waiting for is uh, somebody who died drinking hand sanitizer, but. Uh, <laughs> so.
1: Well, we had a, we had a letter in the paper today of a, a gentleman who was worried about, you know, getting the paper delivered and what are the dangers of that? So he, he microwaved it for. Yeah. Seconds and, and then recommended <laughs> oh, that right. no one do that again. Cause it almost caught on fire.
2: Almost <laughs> <Yeah. On
3: Earth.
1: laughs> made some brown spots. <laughs>
3: We don't have video conferencing capability right now, but if you did, um, for you internet fans, there's a popular meme of Captain Picard from Star Trek with his face <laughs> yeah. uh, in his hand uh, on this, and, and that's what I'm doing right now. After <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> hearing uh,
0: yes, I've heard that concern at our house about the newspaper, but um, I tell it's completely trustworthy.
1: The World Health Organization says so. So
0: Yes. All right. Finally, they got something right. So, um, Aaron, you've been covering a lot of this story at the state level, uh, such as Governor Kim Reynolds' news conferences and, and state agency response to COVID-19. And, and uh, the Grinnell poll found that Americans have a strong opinion on whose advice they'll follow. 46% said they completely trust their doctor, and another 45% said they mostly trust their doctor at least until they tell them to lose weight. Um, (laughs) 83% completely trust the government public health officials, uh, completely or mostly trust government health officials. On the other hand, just 16% completely trust President Donald Trump, while twice as many, 32% completely distrust him. 72% 72% completely or mostly trust their governor. Based on the demands from people not in charge uh, for a stay-at-home order, I'd say Governor Kim Reynolds' uh, trust rating might be a little lower than that 72%. Um, and every day at her news conference, she seems to get some version of the uh, why not a stay-at-home order. Um, and maybe she's just getting tired of the same question. But does it seem to you that her answers are getting a little more defensive each day?
3: Um I, defensive or maybe just a, a little more, um, thorough. She, clearly she's coming to those, um, briefings, uh, more prepared to, to defend herself against those, um, calls and questions. And, and it's not just coming from reporters. There's more and more, um, elected officials, um, all Democrats, I, I suppose it's fair to point out that have, have called for this order too. And so her response yesterday to that was, um, asking anyone who thinks she's not doing enough or not issuing enough uh, safety measures to compare what Iowa has done uh, relative to other states. So, so she certainly um, is, you know, is obviously aware that she's being challenged on that on a daily basis and that there's a lot of questions out there about why she hasn't um, gone to that. Um, And, and, and the one thing she says that that is fair and accurate is that a lot of the steps Iowa has put in place are essentially um, what you would do as part of a stay at home order. Now the, the big difference and it's and, and, uh, underlined in all caps and bold big is uh, that it's not an order. It's not mandatory. That it's, it's not, you know, it doesn't come with the punch of enforcement, potential enforcement behind it. It's, it's basically a recommendation. It's still optional. <laughs> and so that's why you still, get stories uh, from concerned Iowans who are seeing people still gathering together in groups or, or, or being outside and and interacting with each other. Going to (laughs) board (laughs) options. Yeah. If anybody saw that image going around uh, Twitter, uh, KCCI reported on that uh, the other day. That was, I mean, that's an exact, that's a perfect example. Now that one may have been um, tough either way because governor, Reynolds claimed that that was that um, procedure was part of the food supply chain, so that might have been allowed even under a stay-at-home.
2: Order. Yeah. But it does kind
3: of illustrate the difference between hum- in human behavior between when you give people a choice and 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 when you require something.
0: Yeah, it's uh, wow. I don't know why people would go to a horse auction at this time, but uh, and I'm not sure what that has to do with the food chain, and I'm not sure I want to know what it has to do with the food chain. <laughs> <laughs> but perhaps perhaps those horses are pulling the the, the processed beef to the supermarket. Uh, Let's I don't hope. know. Let's hope. Um, Todd, uh, the Gazette has uh, called on, lo- on Governor Reynolds to give local governments the authority to, to do stay-at-home orders on a citywide or countywide basis um talk about that i mean why why would that help if cedar rapids has a stay-at-home order and and uh you know the neighboring communities don't
1: well i, I think what we had in mind in the editorial was that we would we want a regional approach because i mean if you look at the map right now you've got um uh, lynn county johnson county and washington county are sort of a The main axis of of growing caseloads,
0: the COVID corridor,
1: the COVID corridor. I guess you you might call it the Corona Corona corridor, sponsored by Corona. Uh, So we we look at that and think, well, if we're not going to have a statewide order, which the governor is 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 digging in her heels on that, although I think there's going to come a day when when she has to has to go that route. I. I keep I keep wanting to write a column about it, but I keep thinking I'm going to write that in the morning and at 2.30 in the afternoon, it will be wrong. <laughs> uh, waiting for this to happen. It's the, maybe it won't happen. But yeah, we're looking at that regional corridor and think, thinking if the governor would give leaders in those counties, for instance, the uh, authority to do stay at home, that I think the leaders in those communities would, would follow suit in it. And I think a regional approach like that could probably make a difference more so than, yeah, if, if only Cedar Rapids did it and Marion didn't. I mean, that would be, it wouldn't do any good at all. But I think a regional, you know, and that's a natural, I know it looked like on her map of districts that they were scoring that Iowa City and Cedar Rapids were sort of split into two districts. Mm-hmm. I think that's mainly because of the hospital systems. At least that's what the explanation people were giving on social media but and that's, that's, a, that's what the uh, public health yeah. department said too. So. Yep. Sorry,
3: Todd, I was just going to interject that they said oh. they, they drew those regions based on hospital usage.
1: Yep. So, but I think in this case, with the natural sort of economic and social ties of that of that corridor, I think that a stay-at-home order in that region would would have a would have a good effect. It would make some difference.
0: I noticed uh, looking at the governors. Uh, orders on this, she has prohibited gatherings of more than 10 people. Um, and however, there's sort of a exception in there that says you can have a gathering of more than 10 people, <laughs> gathering of people inside parked vehicles, if there are no more than 10 people inside each vehicle, all people remain inside the vehicle at all times and the vehicle remains enclosed with all windows, sunroofs, convertible tops closed. So this sounds like the drive-in movie exception. I that's
3: think. exactly what I was just going to say. It's, it sounds like drive-in movie theaters. And people in and, a
2: car. And churches. And churches. We had a church up here in Cedar Falls that did a, a service where everybody was in their cars. Now, the sheriff actually got mad about that because they started passing out coffee and donuts, which totally uh, takes all the, uh, <laughs> the yeah. benefits yeah, of that out
0: of it. Yeah. Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, according to, according to this, you have to keep your windows up all, at all times. So you couldn't really... Be passing things around, but
1: well, uh, that that church coffee is too weak to, to kill
2: any <laughs> any bacteria.
1: <guys>, so,
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> Another
0: observation: uh, watching the the governor's news conferences is this. Uh, I find the alternating appearances of Iowa Department of Public Health Director Dr. Padati and Deputy Director Sarah Re- Resetter. Um, uh, Interesting in that Padati has that very calming, soothing voice and reminds us to wash our hands. <laughs> but uh, uh, Resetter, uh, when she answers the question, she always kind of gives me the impression that she's thinking, I answered this yesterday and the day before, so what <laughs> is it that you don't understand? <laughs> it's, just like, it's almost like a good cop, bad cop uh, sort of
3: thing. <laughs> I, I I won't, as a reporter, I won't play favorites between those two other than to say that one of them wore a Ray Gun shirt to one of the yeah. press conferences. Uh, so I'll just leave it at that and let people agree from that what they will.
0: Uh, that's a good question there. A great question, Aaron. A great question. <laughs> Another great question for you, Aaron, is that uh, one of the casualties of this pandemic has been traditional political campaigning. Um, remember when this uh, podcast used to be about politics. Um, <laughs> what, what do campaigns in the age of COVID-19 look like?
3: Yeah, it's been really fascinating to watch. And, and the one that I see most closely uh, right now is the, um, the, primary, the Democratic primary uh, for Iowa's U.S. Senate race. Um, uh, I think we got five people that are running to, to face uh, Joni Ernst this fall. And, um it's just fascinating that, that obviously public events nutritional campaign events town halls those kinds of things are out the window right now so so they're doing what they can they're busy on social media they're hosting virtual events uh when when they can um, virtual town halls um um doing a lot of fundraising uh, since they can't be doing anything else anyways i, I you can and, and, you know, and that makes sense because the one thing that people can do a lot of right now is watch TV. So if you can get an ad on TV right now, it'd be a heck of a time to do it. Uh, you get a lot of eyeballs. Um, uh, but it's just fascinating to see. I, I mean, normally at this point in a Senate primary, we'd, we would have had at least a debate, if not a couple. And um, we haven't had anything like I don't even know if that's possible. Uh, um, I've never been one in charge of organizing. Uh, Those, And I'm not aware if any are being discussed, but uh, it'd be an awful big challenge to put something like that together in these kinds of circumstances. So so it's really fascinating to watch, um, you know, what's a a really important race in this state. And it's largely flying under the radar because it's hard to get out there. And then it's hard um, for us to cover it and do much about it because we're so tied up with everything else that's going on. It's it's just a really, uh, as I kind of pull. Pull my chair back and look at this from the big picture view. It's just a fascinating um, turn of events here with some of these primary campaigns.
0: Yeah, it, it certainly has changed that. I, I don't know what you're seeing, Amy, if, if you're seeing anybody, you know, uh, has sort of figured out how to do the campaign uh, under these compi- conditions, or is everyone sort of learning on the fly?
2: Yeah, it's it's very weird. I think we're just in an unprecedented time, and and that includes everybody, including politicians. I mean, you've got people that are still trying to email, um, but they're just you know, with all of the caveats of a fundraising email. I I was reading a a Kimberly Graham email the other day that had a disclaimer at the top, like if you can't donate, we totally understand that. Like, be safe. And then in the body of the email, it was like we understand it's a really tough time, you know, (laughs) and so. Trying to, to raise money in this environment, I think, is it, it's just difficult, if not, you know, unconscionable. I mean, it's, it's whether you're asking your, I guess, richest donors to donate or, or trying to bracket that out so you're not, you know, alienating voters with your fundraising appeals. That's a really interesting thing, mm-hmm. too. But I think to Aaron's point, yeah, how do you get something like um, an airing of the issues out there if you can't have a debate before June, for example? And to that point, are we going to have a primary in June still? I know that they're doing um, a lot of things with, with the mail-out ballots and, and things like that to try to get people to vote. But is that something that they'll eventually decide maybe we can't even, you know, rightfully do that if we can't give people like an in-person option? So I think oh, we just...
3: Amy, bless your heart. Uh, <laughs> thank you for the ad. Uh, watch your lean newspapers and gazette newspapers listeners all across the state this weekend for an answer to that exact question.
2: Hey,
3: oh, that's a teaser. No, done. No, yeah. I
2: set it up on the T for you.
0: There yeah. you go. yeah. I mean, to Amy's point, I was talking to a, a campaign manager for a federal race this week and he said, it's just fundraising is so awkward at this time. Uh, just, I mean, what you were saying, Amy, that to ask people for money at a time when people uh, have lost their jobs or are temporarily out of work. Um, and in, in, everybody's in very uncertain times you might say i mean whether you're still working or not um and he said is you know campaigns run on money but um i, I, I saw a, a piece from um campaign strategists i guess who said you know it is awkward but democracy has to go on we can't just stop he said so basically his message was you know don't feel guilty don't feel bad that you're you're doing a campaign because you know we can't stop democracy we have to continue we have to carry on uh i mm-hmm. he may be right but it, it's i think it's still a very awkward time i mean I, when i see those fundraising emails it's kind of like really
2: it's, it's very awkward and maybe you just wait till the government checks get issued and then you know ask for a quick 20.
0: <laughs> hey you just got 1200 bucks can you spare tw- you know
2: that's right yeah you got twenty. Right. 10, you
3: know i could see a, a, a especially a democratic candidate say hey President Trump just sent you that thousand uh, dollar check. Wouldn't it be great to just stick it to him and donate that to a Democratic candidate? There you symbol? go. <laughs> There's a freebie for you, Aaron. see that email. Yeah, yeah. So
1: we're, we're getting we're getting quite a few letters to the editor from people from uh, nonprofit groups that are saying, "Hey, that if you don't need that twelve hundred dollars, oh, yeah. this, is, really, this yeah. is a good time to, to give that away." But maybe they could, yeah. maybe someone can check and see how. You know, Abe Lincoln raised money during the Civil War election. You know, awkward timing. He was being run against by one of his own generals. So (laughs) that was an awkward (laughs) election. (laughs) How did did Herbert Herbert Hoover and FDR raise money during the Depression? Maybe that's a good check. (laughs) I think it
0: will be interesting when it's over to look at where the – um, money came from for these campaigns, you know, how this has changed fundraising. Is it coming from, like Amy said, you know, your richest donors or are the small dollar donors still, you know, going to be a factor here? Maybe, a, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. you, you know, if you are rely on $2 and 70 cents or, you know, those sorts of donations um, those people might say, I, I need that 270 for, you know, a half a roll of toilet paper or something.
3: Yeah. Right.
1: it could. It yeah. could be that we end up with, you know, these a few rich guys and a super PAC uh, do a lot of the campaigning. I mean, that's that's where the big money is. The you know, the, both disclosed and undisclosed. So the, yeah. the the action may, has already shifted to those folks in, in a lot of the federal races, it just may become more so now that the the campaigns will have a hard time, you know, raising money from
3: donors. Mm-hmm. Well, and it'll be interesting. So we just hit a quarterly deadline a federal deadline at the end of March. So we'll get a chance to see um, to a certain degree um, um, how much this, but, but I, I, as we're talking about this, I'm thinking, uh, and again, going back to that Senate race, a candidate like uh, Kimberly Graham, who is a kind of prided herself and and taken that path of the, the Bernie Sanders esque the paths of no, no pack money, no corporate pack money, none of that only grassroots, small dollar donors. And like we've been talking about, those are the people that don't have, a lot of disposable income uh, right now. Um, She really put her eggs in that basket, and I I wonder if that's made uh, things more challenging for her in that primary race to to, to be able to fundraise and and do things to be able to get her name and her message out there. Mm
0: -hmm. All good questions. Um, I guess the alternative, Todd, um, should we take a cue from Japan and the Olympics Committee and just postpone the elections until 2021?
1: (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I'm sure the maybe the, the, the president would probably be warm to that idea. Uh, you know, what, you, like the one difference between the Olympics and the election is that we can we can do the voting by mail. Luckily, you can't. It's hard to do the Olympics by mail. I mean, you could, I suppose, you could send a, a video of yourself running really fast, and I, I don't know. But uh, yeah, we can vote by mail, and the the Secretary of State for the primary is sending out all the ballot request forms so that iowans can get their absentee ballots and i I think we're gonna as you know it's we've seen a lot of growth in absentee balloting i think this may be the year that uh it it shoots into the 80s or 90s maybe who knows but it's i think a lot of people are looking at that option and uh yeah i mean that's that's where we're headed
0: well, and we'll probably talk about that on a future edition of On Iowa Politics. I hope today has been worth your time. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, tell a friend and s- subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. Send fam- fan mail to podcasts at thegazette.com. That's a new address for fan mail, uh, podcasts at thegazette.com. And you can find us every week on the home pages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Jacob's Home by Scarlet Runner will take us out. If you know a band or a talented Iowa musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file. And remember to follow us on Twitter and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. For Aaron, Amy, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening.
1: Jacob, no.
0: i